today what I want to talk to you about is this. What do you do when God doesn't come through? What do you do when God doesn't come through? Every single one of us, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, whether you're one of those people you believe in a Star Wars because you're a Star Wars fanatic, so you believe in the force, we've all asked this question. Why doesn't God do something about that? Every one of us. We've said, why doesn't God do something about that? And every single one of us have a that. Perhaps your that is, God, why didn't you do something and stop my loved one from dying? I'll never forget July the 10th, 2010, when my mother suddenly, at the age of 56, passed away. I'll never forget my sister calling me and telling me mom has died. Why, God? Why did they get the disease? Why, why, did, why are their children starving in parts of the world? Why did they get murdered? Why did they die in the tornado? Why didn't you do something about that, God? And because of all of the tragedy in our world, there are some that would say that they don't believe that God exists. There are others that would say because of the tragedy, the pain, the chaos in our world, they would say, well, if God does exist, I don't know that he loves me and I don't know that he loves others. That they think if there is a loving God, then why wouldn't he cooperate with me? And do everything that I want him to do. I mean, if there's a loving God, I mean, why doesn't he just make it rain? Why doesn't he just answer my prayer? Why doesn't he just feed the hungry child? Why doesn't he just cure the disease? Why doesn't he just stop the tornado or stop the murder? I mean, where is God? If he exists, why doesn't he do something? And you have to understand this truth. That God's lack of cooperation with you or with me is not a sign that God doesn't exist. And people will say, well, I have an argument. God doesn't exist because he's not cooperating with me. But there is no correlation between God not cooperating with you and his existence. Those two just, I mean, it seems like an emotional and rational argument, but they don't go hand in hand. Just because God doesn't cooperate with you and do everything you ask him to do, that doesn't mean he doesn't exist. And if you think that's logical, that because somebody doesn't cooperate with you, then they don't exist, then my parents did not exist my sophomore year in high school. Because I got asked to go to the prom my sophomore year in high school by a senior. What's up, somebody? A senior asked me to go, huh? yeah. asked me to go to the prom, and she didn't have a curfew. My parents slapped one on me in a heartbeat. You have a curfew. You're going to be home around 12 or so. And I had a curfew, and my parents did not do what I wanted them to do. And if that's the case, that somebody doesn't exist because they don't cooperate with me and do exactly what I want them to do, then my parents didn't exist. How many of you parents know that, that, that if that's the case, then there are sometimes our children don't exist? Hello, somebody. Could you obey? Could you do the right thing? 
I mean, if this is the case, then there are kids, sometimes my kids don't believe their daddy exists. Come on, daddy, you need to cooperate with me. And if you don't cooperate with me, then that means you don't exist. Well, no, that's not true. Just because someone doesn't cooperate with you and do exactly what you want them to do doesn't mean they don't exist. Friend, friends, God does exist. God does love us. But God doesn't always intervene. And this is a very tough subject that I'm preaching on today. And my goal is I want to help you today. And I want God and his word to minister to your heart. Because scripture does teach us how to respond when God says no and he doesn't intervene. What I want to do today is I want to use as a backdrop Daniel chapter 3. And there were three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were taken into captivity by the Babylonian people. And when they were in captivity and in slavery, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted everyone to worship him and to bow down to him. And he built a golden image, and he told everybody in the land to bow down to this golden image and worship this golden image. And anybody who did not bow down would be thrown into the fiery furnace. And everybody in the nation bowed down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They loved God. They served God. And they will not, would not worship a foreign false God. And so the king got mad, and he said, listen, I'm turning up the fire furnace three times hotter, boys. You better bow or you're going to burn. This is called tragedy. You mean, God, I love you? I serve you? I worship you? And if I don't bow down to a piece of gold, I'm going to lose my life? I'm going to get thrown into a fiery furnace? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they teach us how to respond when God says no. I want us to study their response today and let the Holy Spirit minister to our hearts when God says no to us. I want to give you two truths to remember when God says no. Two truths to remember when God says no. If you're a note taker, this would be a great message just to write some notes down, to take, maybe write some points down and take home with you and study on your own time this message of when God says no. The first thought is this. Remember that when God says no, that God is able. Number one, God is able. Let's look at the three Hebrew boys' response in Daniel 3 and verse 17. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. God is able. Come on, both campuses, those joining us online, everybody say with me, God is able. I want that to sink into your heart. They said, listen, King, God is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And if you know the story, yes, God said no, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and God showed up and protected them in the fiery furnace. But they did not know that God was going to even protect them when they got thrown into the fiery furnace. But notice, in the midst of horrifying circumstances, the three Hebrew boys declared a powerful truth, and they said it with confidence. The God that we serve is able to deliver us. God is is able. And this is a very important truth for us to understand. Because of the chaos in our world, because of the tragedy in our world, because of the pain in our world, there are some people that would say that God must be limited. 
because of the chaos that we see, because of the murders we see, because of all the junk in our world, there would be some people that would say, well, God must not be all-powerful. Look at our world. But the truth is this. God is able. God is all-powerful. I know there's chaos around us, but understand this about our God. God is able to save a baby in the mother's womb. God is able to feed a hungry child. God is able to stop a murder. God is able to deliver people from injustices. God is able. God still does miracles. God still intervenes. God is able. Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And when God says no, you need to realize that God is able. He is all-powerful. He is still God. There's a second truth to remember when God says no. It's so important. And the second truth is this. God is able, but he doesn't always intervene. God is able, but he doesn't always intervene. I want you to notice this in Daniel 3 in the very next verse, verse 18. The three Hebrew boys declared, but even if he does not, verse 17, God is able to deliver us, verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that, that, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The three Hebrew boys said, we know that God is able, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to turn our backs on God. Here's what they knew. They knew that God was able, but they also knew that God doesn't always intervene. God's able, but even if he doesn't, because there are times that he doesn't. And when it comes to our faith, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend how a loving, merciful, kind, gracious, all-powerful God doesn't always intervene. It's hard to wrap our human limited minds around how that could be the case. And one thing that I do understand, and I think it's very important for us to understand, is that we're not the only ones who have experienced God not intervening in our lives. We're not the only ones, because here's what happens when you and I go through tragedy. When we experience pain, when I lost my mother and I got the call from my sister in New York where my mom lived and my sister lives, we can feel like we're the only one. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this pain? Why am I going through this tragedy? Where is God? 
But I want you to understand that when you and I go through tragedy, we're not the only ones to experience God not intervening in our situation all throughout human history. You see where God doesn't always intervene. All throughout the Bible, you see where God doesn't always intervene. I think about the very first family, Adam and Eve. They have two sons, Cain and Abel, and Abel was a righteous man. He brought an offering to God that was pleasing to God. And Cain got jealous of his brother who was honoring God, and God could have intervened, but he did not. And Cain killed Abel. I think about 2 Samuel chapter number 13 where, where David's children, Tamar, was violated by her own brother. And I think about that story and God is all powerful. David is one of his kids called a man after God's own heart. And God could have intervened in that situation. But God doesn't intervene in that situation. I think about Job. The Bible says a man who feared, feared God and shunned evil, turned away from evil. He loved God. And if you don't know the story of Job, in a matter of one day, he's, all of his kids die. He loses all of his financial stability, all of his wealth. He loses everything. God could have intervened, but God did not. I think about John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda. The Bible says there lay a great number of sick people, crippled people. And as they laid there, Jesus walked up one day, and there was a man there that was crippled. And the Bible says Jesus walked up, and he healed one man. One man was healed. And I can just imagine in my mind's eye as Jesus was leaving after healing that one man and all those other crippled people lay at the pool of Bethesda. Can you imagine what they were saying? Jesus, what about me? Jesus, heal me. Jesus, I've been here longer than him. Touch me. And yet Jesus just kept walking. And he did not heal everybody. I think about Acts chapter 7, and the Bible says a great man of God named Stephen, a man full of faith, an evangelist, a preacher of God's word. And the Bible says because of his faith, Stephen was stoned to death for the cause of Christ. And I don't understand how God shows up for Daniel in the lion's den, and he intervenes and spares Daniel. But God doesn't show up in Stephen's situation, and Stephen loses his life. Because God doesn't always intervene. I, I think about the, the chapter in Hebrews in chapter 11, the hall of faith, where the Bible talks over and over and over again about people who had strong faith in God. And the Bible declares in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 35, it says, women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured. We're talking about God's people, tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment over their faith. It goes on in verse 37. They were put to death by stoning God's people. God didn't always intervene. Some of his people were stoned to death. It goes on to say they were sawed in two. God's people sawed. In two for their faith. It says they were killed by the sword. 
They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in, wandered in deserts and mountains. God's people living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better, and we're going to talk about the something better a little later in the message, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And God was able to save all these powerful men and women of God, but God did not intervene. And I don't understand why God doesn't always intervene. I could give you several reasons, but first of all, I just want to be honest with you. As your pastor, as a student of the Word of God, as somebody who loves the Lord, I can't tell you always why God doesn't intervene. The Bible says that God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and that God's ways are higher than our ways. And today, I don't want to play God. I don't want to pretend like I have all the answers, because I don't. But I do... Think about the old hymn. And the old hymn says this, we'll understand it better by and by. And we will understand it better by and by. It will all make 100% sense to us by and by. But yet, though I don't have all the answers, I do want to minister to you from God's Word because God's Word does give us some keys, some ways we should respond when God says no. And not only are we going to learn some keys and some ways we should respond when God says no, but as I teach these to you, we're also going to learn some reasons of why we are experiencing the chaos that's in our world. And I think you'll get some clarity on that as I teach from the scriptures today. Number one is this, five ways we should respond when God says no. Number one, don't miss this, don't let your faith be shaken. Don't let your faith be shaken. The three Hebrew boys said, even if God does not save us, even if God does not intervene, we will not bow down. We will not serve a false God. Listen, times may be in, going through turbulent times right now. They may be difficult and tough. We may be facing a tragedy and a crisis, and our skin may get burned off our bodies, but we will not serve any other God besides Jehovah Jireh, besides Besides our God, besides the great I am, we will only serve God. We will not be shaken. Our faith will not be moved, even if God doesn't intervene. And people's church, our testimony needs to be, even if God doesn't, because God doesn't always. And even if God doesn't, God, we declare, we're still going to serve you. We're still going to worship you. We're still going to love you with all of our hearts. And Jesus teaches John the Baptist a very powerful lesson regarding what I'm teaching you right now. Let, let, let's look at this together. I believe we'll draw strength from it in Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 2. It says, when John, talking about John the Baptist, who was in prison. I want you to notice this. John was in prison for his faith. Who was in prison? heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? 
Or should we expect someone else? Get the picture here. John is in prison for his faith. And he's hearing about all of these miracles that Jesus is performing. And he begins to ask, is this really the Messiah? Or should we look for another? Because look, I'm in prison for my faith. And where is Jesus? Why did he show up and intervene? If he's performing all these miracles for other people, why isn't he showing up in my life? I'm John the Baptist. I baptized Jesus. Jesus, I'm one of your blood relatives. When are you going to show up in my life if you're Jehovah? And Jesus responds back to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 4. And Jesus replied, go back and report to John who's in prison that what you hear and see, what you hear and see, he says, report back to John in verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Here's the verse. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Here's the verse. Jesus said, tell John this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus tells John this. He says, you you boys go back and tell John this. I'm the Messiah. (laughs) What you're hearing is true. The blind eyes are being opened. Deaf ears are being unstopped. I'm feeding thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Yes, I am the Messiah, but let John know I'm not coming to save him. I'm not coming to intervene. But tell John this, tell, the, tell John this, but God blesses those who do not stumble on account of me. You tell John, just because I may not show up in the way that he thinks I should show up in his life, blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed if you don't stumble on account of me. I can show up, but I might not show up in the way that you think I should. And blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. And if you know the story of John the Baptist, Jesus doesn't show up. And Jesus doesn't intervene. And John the Baptist was beheaded because of his faith in God. And people's church, I'm talking to somebody right now. God blesses those who do not stumble and turn away from God on account of God not intervening in the way that you thought he should. That's a word for somebody in this house at Midwest City joining us online right now. That's a word. You've experienced tragedy. You've experienced heartbreak. Things have not turned out the way that you thought they should have. You're like me. God, why did that happen? Why did my mama die? Why did the chaos? Why did the murder happen? Why did it happen? And Jesus said, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me not showing up in your life the way you thought I should. And Jesus said this. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 16 and verse 1. Jesus says, all this I have told you, boys, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. I do not want you to fall away because when people are persecuted and when people go through tragedy and when I don't show up in the way that they, that they, they think I should show up, there are people who have a propensity to fall away from the faith, to turn their back on God, to get mad at God, to wave their fist at God. God, where are you? And he says, fellas, I'm telling you, I'm telling you this so that you will not fall away. Verse 2, he says, they will put you on the, out of the synagogue. What do you mean, G? We're your disciples. We're going to preach your word. He says, I know it. And they're going to put, put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you, because some of you are going to die for your faith. But God, we're your people. Yeah, I know you are. 
And some of you are going to be persecuted for your faith. And anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Verse 3, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And Jesus says this, Jesus says this, don't let your faith be shaken because of tragedy. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Don't turn your back on God because he doesn't show up in the way that you think he should. Number two is this, five ways we should respond when God says no. Number two is this, keep trusting in God's character. Keep trusting in God's character. And I could read to you scripture after scripture after verse after verse of God's character. But today, I want to just remind you of who God is, no matter what you're seeing around you in the world. Psalms chapter 86 and verse 15 says, but you, Lord, are are a compassionate and gracious God. That's who he is. Slow to anger, abounding in love. God is love and faithfulness. Friends, hear me. No matter the tragedy, no matter the chaos, no matter what you see, you can trust God's character. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. He's full of love. And God is full of faithfulness. Psalm says this about God's character in Psalms 38 and verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good. God is good. The Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I want you to understand that God is good. Notice I did not say that everything that happens in our world is good. Because that's not the case. God is good, but everything that happens in our world is not good. Let me remind you of something, that we live in a fallen world. If you don't know what happened back in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world. It was perfect. And the Bible says that God gave them a choice to follow him. I I want you to follow me out of your own volition, out of your own will. I want you to follow me out of your own heart. I don't want to make you a robot. I want you to follow me out of your heart. And so God said, eat from any tree that you want to, but not this one tree. Any tree. Any tree. But don't eat from this one tree. Don't eat from this one tree. And Adam Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And they ate from the tree they were not supposed to eat from. And at that moment when they sinned, they ushered in sin into our world. And now we live in a fallen world. And when they sinned, that day they sinned, they ushered in natural disasters and chaos and murder and hate because the world was no longer perfect. Can I tell you, we live in a fallen world because of their disobedience. Can I also remind you that there's a real devil? There's a real adversary. There's a real enemy. There are real demons around this world. We are in a spiritual battle. And the Bible says in John chapter 10 and verse 10, let me remind you of this. If you're, maybe some of you are not even aware of this. The only reason the devil is here, the Bible says in John 10, 10, is to steal and to kill and to destroy. You want to know why there's so much destruction? Why there's so much murder and why there's so much chaos? Because there's a real devil who is attacking, who is moving, who is prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. Yes, everything that happens in our world is not good, but God is good, and God is kind, and God is gracious, and God is merciful, and God is all-powerful, and God is love. And some of you may not believe it, but I'm here to declare to you, God is still ultimately in control and will one day deal with the devil and deal with demons and put sin to an end. He's ultimately still in control. He is God, and he's God all by himself. 
And don't you let tragedy cause you to doubt God's character and goodness. There's a third thing that I want you to see, five, five ways to respond when God says no. Number three, let the Holy Spirit help you. Help you. John chapter 4 and verse 25, Jesus says to his disciples, before he's, Jesus is taken up to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, he tells his fellows, I'm not going to leave you by yourself because you're going to face adversity and you're going to face struggle. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He said, I don't want to leave you by yourself. And so he tells them in verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the paraclete in the Greek, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, God sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. The comforter to comfort you when you're going through trials and trouble. He says, whom the Father will send in my name. It goes on to say in verse 26, and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. When you're going through tragedy, he'll teach you how to trust in God. When you're going through pain, he'll teach you how to lean on God. When, you, when things don't make sense and you're going through a horrible time in your life, the Holy Spirit will teach you how to have joy, the joy of the Lord. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will teach you. Verse 27 says this, peace, Jesus says, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives to you. Jesus said, I'm not giving to you this false, phony, false, phony fake peace. I'm giving to you this abiding peace that will sustain you. He says, goes on to say, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's what Jesus says. I'm going to leave you. And in this world, it's fallen. There's a real devil. There are real demons. And tragedy will happen. But I'm sending the Holy Spirit to help you. Listen, somebody going through pain and tragedy and heartache. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And he's there to help you and to comfort you, to teach you all things, to give you peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Let the Holy Spirit help you through tragedy. Number four is this. I want you to see a fourth way that the word of God tells us to respond when, we, when God says no. Number four is this. Let God mature you. Let God mature you. Notice in James chapter 1 and verse 2, we sang about this today. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's a difficult scripture. Consider it joy? What do you mean, God? How can we consider it joy when we're facing trials of many kinds? Verse 3 tells us, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The word of God says, let God's know build you, build you up. Let God's know build up your faith and continue to persevere because there are people who stop persevering when they go through trials. They quit pressing into God. They quit praying. They stop coming to church. They stop serving the Lord with, their all, with all of their heart. And listen, let God's know build up your faith. Let it produce perseverance as James talks about. Because if you let perseverance finish its work, it will cause you to be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And I teach this message for two reasons today. First of all, to help to minister to those of you who, those of you who are far from God and trying to reconcile this whole thing. Is God really love? He really is love. There really is a devil. God is still kind and gracious and merciful. But there's also people who are believers in this place. And I 
I want you to know when you're going through a test, a trial, a tragedy, God wants to mature you. Would you allow the test to push you to God instead of away from God? Would you allow the test to build you up? God wants your faith to be mature. Come on. Some of you have to just kind of grow up in the faith. You got to learn to take a licking and keep on ticking and keep on serving God and pressing into God and worshiping God and honoring God. He's still God and ultimately he wants to mature you. Oh, this is not easy preaching. This is tough stuff. But if you will persevere, God will develop you, mature you, and make you complete, not lacking anything. God wants to use this tragedy to build you up. Number five is this. There's a fifth point. Here's my most important point today. My most important point. Five ways to respond when God says no. Number one is this. Number five is this. Let your hope be in heaven. Let your hope be in heaven. I believe those three Hebrew boys, the fires turned up three times hotter. And I believe they could declare with their mouth, God is able, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't, if you throw me in the fire and I lose my life, even if God doesn't, the reason they could declare that, because those three Hebrew boys know this wasn't it. That they knew that this life wasn't all there was. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to say, throw me in the fire and I'm just going to die if this is all there is. I mean, this is all there is. Hey, brother, I'm bowing down. But this is not all there is. There is a God in heaven. There is a heaven there. There is life after death. So, Bubba, throw me in the fire if you must, but I will not bow down because my eyes are not focused on right now. My eyes are focused on eternity because this place is not my home. Heaven is my home home. And I'm here to remind somebody going through trouble. I'm here to remind somebody going through trials. I'm here to remind somebody going through adversity. I'm here to remind somebody going through tragedy that this earth is not your home. Let your hope be in heaven. Scripture declares in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. But can I tell you when our eyes are only on this earth, our present troubles are big. They're ginormous. But when our present troubles in light of eternity and our focus is on heaven, our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory, a maturity that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can, we can see now. We all have troubles. He says, rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. They're temporary. They're temporary. But the things we cannot see will last forever. You see, there are some horrible tragedies that happen on earth. But if your eyes and focus is on heaven, can I tell you that the Bible says they're really small. We all face troubles. It's a part of life. It's a part of being in a fallen world. It's a part of being in a planet where there's sin and there's a devil and there are demons. But these troubles are small and a light and just momentary aff aff affliction in light of eternity, in light of what God has prepared for those who love him. And that's a place called heaven. Yes, Abel died. 
Yes, Job's kids died. Yes, Stephen died. Yes, John the Baptist was beheaded. Yes, many other disciples died for their faith. But friends, that was not the end of the story. They will spend eternity in the presence of the Lord. This life is so short, but eternity is forever and ever and forever. And their reward is in heaven. They'll be in the presence of the Lord all the days of, of eternity forever and forever. Jesus said it like this, and I close. May this minister to your heart today, church. John 14, verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Are many, I'm, I'm preparing a heaven for you. This is not your home. There are many mansions. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you, Jesus says, I'm not playing games with you. I'm preparing heaven for you. This earth is not your home. I'm not messing with you. I'm not deceiving you, boys. I'm getting ready to leave you, and I'm not playing with you. You're going to have some trouble, but this is not your home. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. Can I tell you right now, Jesus is preparing heaven for us. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself as christians we call that the second coming of christ jesus is coming back he's coming back for you he's coming back for me he's coming back for his church he says i'm, go I'm going away right now but i'm coming back he says that, that that you that where i am there you will you may be also and where i go you know and the way you know friends can i tell you there is tragedy there is pain there is chaos, but let your hope be in heaven where we will spend eternity. And friends in heaven, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more devil. There'll be no more demons. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more ra rapes and murders. There'll be no more chaos. In heaven, there'll be nothing peace and joy in God's presence forever and ever and ever and ever and what we face in this lifetime is a light and momentary affliction it's small in comparison to what God has stored up for those who love him this place is not your home there's a heaven waiting for you.